0: We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, May 16th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, Brad. What have you uh, been doing recently? Well,
1: uh, last weekend, was it last weekend or was it the weekend before? Maybe it was the weekend before. It was the weekend before. Has it been that long since I've been on the podcast?
0: (laughs) Well, we did the the big uh, two-part top 100 recording last week, which sort of threw everything off. But that was really fun. I'm I'm really happy with how those episodes turned out.
1: That was a good time. Yeah. uh, So last weekend, I went to Chicago. Uh, to catch the Batman in concert, uh, Warner Brothers and this company called TCG Entertainment has been doing uh, they just started this concert series where they have uh, movies played in person with a live orchestra accompanying them and playing the score. Something that, that has been happening a lot more uh, recently. Uh, and the first one that they did out of the gate was the Batman, uh, Matt Reeves's movie with Robert Pattinson, and of course, the incredible score by Michael Giacchino. And uh, this was Awesome because I mean the movie is you know uh pretty much three hours long so you're you're just getting this incredible concert of Michael Giacchino's music and I I love the Batman score his new theme is incredible and uh watching you know this this orchestra play it was just mesmerizing and like these these musicians are so good that like eventually you just forget that there's even a live orchestra there you know like you're, you're it's you know the the sound there is powerful but they're so in sync and they're just so. Uh, well trained and they um, their timing is just perfect and right in the money that you uh, you don't even notice after a little while. Uh, but every every now and then, my eyes would drift down to watch uh, the orchestra play, especially like during the the moments where they have like the long string sounds that happen, especially when Batman and Catwoman are sharing a scene, uh, watching the string section being so incredibly in sync, just the way that they're they're moving. Uh, their bow up and down the strings, just just right along with each other. It's uh, it's great to watch. If if you haven't gone out of your way. Uh, to see a, a movie in concert where they have an orchestra playing the score along with the movie you should absolutely do it um, pick one of your favorites that's out there they're they're always doing ones like back to the future and jurassic park and star wars and harry potter so uh, check those out because they're just they're great shows
0: yeah man i i loved I, I think the first one of these that i saw was um fellowship of the ring like nice. probably 10 years ago or something at this point but yeah it was like it was mind blowing because like you said, the, the dedication of all these people and like the, the discipline of like, you know, it's, it's a long movie and, and Lord of the Rings is a long movie as well. But like to sit there and be completely locked into what you're doing for three hours and be like completely flawless is, uh, is just wildly impressive. So, um, yeah, I certainly second that recommendation if anybody has a chance to do that it's it's well worth your time yeah i hope that because
1: this is like supposed to be the beginning of like a dc in concert series and i, I hope that they uh end up doing something like uh tim burton's batman because hearing danny elfman's score would be amazing live
0: what if they just trolled everyone and only did like this uh or not the suicide squad but just the 2016 suicide squad like (laughs) that was the only movie that they did it for (laughs) oh man um okay let's get into what we've been watching you and i both had a chance to catch up with are you there god it's me margaret uh kelly freeman craig's new movie i think this is her second feature after the edge of 17 uh that was her first movie. What did you think about this one, Brad?
1: I love this movie. It's 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 so good. It's you know, it made me realize that uh we don't really get any straightforward uh, coming of age movies like this, like I, I love coming of age movies, and I know you do too. But uh, they usually have some kind of like gimmick attached to it. Like a movie like Sing Street, which we both love, that's a great coming of age movie. But it's but it has this. Uh, it, it, and it's more than a gimmick necessarily because a gimmick makes it feel like it's like a, a, de- a detriment to the film. But like it has this a somewhat of a higher concept where it's about this kid forming a band to try and get a girl, and the music is a big draw drawing force of it, and how how good the soundtrack is. But with a movie like Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret it is very simply about a uh, an 11-year-old girl growing up figuring out wh- what it is to be a teenage girl worried about getting her period, wanting to to grow boobs, wanting to mature very quickly, and it's squarely focused on that and trying to figure out whether she wants to be Jewish or Christian because her her parents have mixed religions and just focused on the the inner turmoil and drama that comes from just existing as a teenager. And I really loved loved seeing that, you know, and this is obviously based on Judy Blooms, you know, uh, popular book that everyone pretty much reads growing up, whether it's in in school or because they have a, a loved one who who bought it for them and and you know, instructed them to read it because it really is kind of like a, a rite of passage to read this book, even not just for girls, but like, you know, even boys end up, I think, reading this book as well. And I just it made me wish that there were a lot more movies like this because um, Abby Ryder Forston is, is so good as, as Margaret. She's very charming. Um, and I just I just like the relationships they have. And it's just, it was just a really delightful, touching, well done uh, adaptation of the book.
0: Yeah. Well said. I, I loved it as well. I thought, um, yeah, like what, what you're talking about, like most of these coming of age movies these days, it sort of feels like, yeah, yeah it needs to be wrapped in something. It needs to have like some little extra oomph to uh, to help sell the movie or something. And I appreciated that this was just like a stripped down, straightforward coming-of-age story, there's no, you know, there's no high concept to this at all. It's very... uh, It's, like, the exact opposite and it's just family drama and, like, you know, uh, 12-year-old turmoil or something. So, um, I I thought Rachel McAdams was wonderful in this movie. Like, she is just... Uh, Jeremy Smith at Slashfilm writes this column um, where he sort of cycles through and says, like, X person is the greatest actor of all time. And he wrote uh, a column about Rachel McAdams. Like, one of those entries was about her. And I, I really feel like she has proven to be this really reliable member of this this sort of class this generation of actors that that she grew up with um who just elevates everything that she does and she's she's just so dang good in this movie and benny yeah. safty one of the the directors behind you know uh friggin' uh uncut gems and, and just like high intensity movies uh he's he's been on screen before but he plays like the character's father and and it's just like low-key great in this movie as well so it was just really nice to see this movie cares so much about this this young girl's perspective it's primarily told from that point of view but the parents are not afterthoughts they they actually have you know a a um sizable substantial uh, subplot in this movie that that um I feel like will be relatable to a lot of people as well so yeah
1: if I had if I had one complaint about this movie one one thing I say that I was uh, just a little bit disappointed in and not but not to the point where it really like tainted the movie for me was it feels like the back half kind of loses sight of the relationship that she has with her friends which is you, you notice because it's so important in the first half of the movie and it feels like they kind of fall to the wayside towards the end and granted the movie is focused on Margaret as a character but it feels like that was such an integral piece of you know her growing up and what was happening in her life at that time that to have them kind of get sidelined while other stuff happened and not really acknowledge like what was happening there they, they try and uh get around it by having her saying that like she 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 kind of has a little bit of a falling out because of, of something that happens but it's mm-hmm. not it's not enough where it makes sense that they're just suddenly not around much anymore
0: yeah yeah I, I i guess i can see that i thought it was it was mostly covered by that sort of quasi falling out that you mentioned and it's sort of like the idea of like you know, even at an age like that, you can somehow just sort of drift away from, you know, people yeah. who, you know, a couple weeks before were like the most important people that you've ever met in your entire life. Um, so I thought it was relatively captured, you know, that that feeling pretty well. So um yeah, good stuff. It's still in theaters. If you get a chance, I definitely recommend going to seek that out. Um, okay, I, I had a chance to catch up with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Uh I remember, Brad, that you and Chris were not particularly enthused about this movie. I feel like it's one of the better Marvel movies recently. And that's not really saying much. Um, I, I'm very torn about this because like on the one hand, it gave me some of those like little flashes of those feelings that I would have back when like Marvel movies meant a lot to me because I liked them a lot. And I don't know if it's just me aging out of like the Marvel demographic because part of me is like, you know, when, uh, when Adam Warrock or what was the name? Adam, um, Adam warlock Warlock, excuse me yeah adam warlock the the character played by will poulter in this movie who is sort of like uh, i don't know like an afterthought in this film almost like he he's sort of squeezed in there doesn't really make a ton of sense but when he bursts onto the scene to heart's crazy on you and in the, in the soundtrack you know if i was 12 or 13 and a lot of them the audience for this type of movie is that age i would have been like hell yeah, this rules. Like, I'm excited to see this character, you know, swing down into nowhere and just start fighting the Guardians and like throw people through buildings and whatever. Um, you know, that kind of stuff now to me as whatever, a 38-year-old man or whatever, um, it just kind of, it's it's lost a little bit, you know? So when when the movie gets into sort of generic action kind of stuff, I kind of tend to check out these days. But thankfully there's, a, there's enough James Gunn, uh, authorial stamp to this movie that those moments were few and far between for me but on the other 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 hand or whatever i am now um i kind of feel like there's a cruel streak to this movie that had that was not there in the first two guardians films it definitely reminded me more of things like slither and super especially the the james gunn sort of quasi superhero movie with brain wilson that came out before he joined the mcu so um yeah, I'm ultimately very torn on this. Like I, I was, I got emotional at the end in the moments when the movie wanted me to get emotional. I thought that stuff was really well done. I thought the the animal cruelty stuff was like a little much, but but very much in line with like James Gunn's personality and interests and and sort of provocative nature as a storyteller. Um, there was a lot of stuff that I just didn't care about. There were a few moments that made me laugh. So yeah, just like a, a huge, Um, jumble of emotions and thoughts and and reactions to this movie where I I don't really have like a clear take on it. But um, now that you've sat with it for what, a couple weeks or something at this point, um, do you have your thoughts on it crystallized further at all?
1: No, I feel like I'm still just kind of in this camp where like I, I liked aspects of it, but it just didn't come together for me in the way that I wanted to. And I think I would like to see it again, to see how it sits now that I know what happens and the, you know, the general, you know, uh, I get not shock, but just feeling of like seeing it for the first time now that I know what's going to happen and seeing how it settles with me and getting a chance to like watch things unfold and see if they resonate more on a second viewing. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, for me, I just, I just feel like it's like, even though it has, it does have, you know, James Gunn's signature on it. It just felt like too much of a mess for me, me to really connect with it. And I think that's its biggest problem.
0: Yeah. So, so you didn't really get emotional at the, at the ending of the movie then?
1: i i i felt uh an emotional swell of like happiness seeing those characters you know uh dancing and like seeing what happened happened with them I, I i actually liked the the like the final scene of the movie more than i did the other emotional beats in the movie so like mm-hmm. there there was a certain satisfaction like i didn't walk away disliking this movie overall or even hating everything like that i was just disappointed it. there's there's definitely still things that i enjoy about it and the the ultimate ending for the characters is one of them yeah. um it would but i think it was just the way the plot unfolded and how and the, the disparity between the character stuff that should have meant more and the huge set pieces uh that really just like didn't sit well with me
0: yeah yeah that's that's a fair criticism i'm yeah i'm curious like I, when i watched this i kind of was like okay, I'm good. I never want to watch that again, where that is not the feeling that I had coming out of the first Guardians in 2014. I was like, yeah, exactly. Oh, this rules, I can't wait to like revisit this. And even though it gives you that sense of closure, um, to it, to a pretty significant degree, I just didn't really feel in the moment, like, you know, this was something that I had any interest in revisiting ever. So, uh, that's probably not good for, for Marvel, but, um, yeah. But evidently, the movie's performing really well at the box office. So, I mean, you know, hopefully, I saw somebody on Twitter say that, like, hopefully, the they'll you know take the right lesson from this, which is like give the directors more of a, a you know, let people put more of their stamp on the movie and let people end things, which uh, you know are are tough lessons for a a studio to learn who wants to sort of continue to grow by just like expanding, expanding, expanding forever. Um, but maybe, you know, that, that's the kind of, uh, shape that these stories need to tell, uh, need to take sometimes. So for sure. Um, okay. So I also had a chance to see notorious, the 1946 movie by Alfred Hitchcock. Have you ever seen this one, Brad? I haven't seen this one actually, but this... I have seen
1: notorious about, uh, um, the, the rap artist, notorious B I G.
0: Yes. I remember. Yeah. I, I never saw that one. Um, so <laughs> yeah, maybe next, uh next time we're on, we can talk about the other person's notorious movie that they've seen. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, this is a movie that stars Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman and Claude Rains, And uh, it's, it's kind of, it's described as a spy film noir, but it's, it's not really a typical Hitchcock movie. There are a couple of moments of, you know, high suspense and uh, tension, but it is very, um, I don't know. It's very subdued for a Hitchcock movie. I was not expecting this. I was expecting more twists and turns and last minute revelations and sort of, um, you know, the, the sort of like a high wire um, thriller aspects that come with so many Hitchcock films. And it's one of the most subdued Hitchcock movies I've ever seen. It's very good. And, and Care Grant and Ingrid Bergman are great in it, but um, the, the basic plot of this movie I had no idea, you know, when when Mission Impossible 2 came out, Brad, I I was uh, probably 15 years old, and I had never heard of Notorious, and I don't think I was even reading, actively reading many movie reviews at that time. If I was, I certainly wasn't sophisticated enough to pick up on people probably referencing how Mission Impossible 2 is like a direct rip off of Notorious, but... This movie definitely is the the sort of jumping off point because the the whole idea is that uh, there's this this woman who is the the daughter of a, a convicted Nazi spy who is uh, basically pulled in by the government to uh, infiltrate um, a group of bad guys and the she basically kind of falls for the American agent who is like her handler and then they have this sort of really quick whirlwind romance and then his job is to send her essentially undercover into this group where uh she is supposed to like um be romantically interested in one of the members of this this villainous cohort and so there's tension there between the agent the handler and this woman of like she is like, do you want me to go or are you just doing this because it's your job? And then he's like jealous of, of the relationship that, that sh- this woman is forming with this bad guy. And so all of that is very, very much like exactly what happens in Mission Impossible 2, but with more, you know, f- uh, mask ripping and motorcycle riding, um. So I just thought it was an interesting thing to sort of go back to the source text almost and, and see, oh, this is the, the template for, you know, a, a big action movie in the early 2000s or whatever. So um, that was interesting. But yeah, I would definitely recommend this movie. It's very solid, but just like, you know, maybe kick your um, your expectation uh, down just a little bit in terms of like, you know, big twists and turns and the type of stuff that you typically expect from Hitchcock films. So that is called Notorious. Uh, and I, I actually got it on on Blu-ray. So I'm not sure if that's streaming anywhere. Um, and then I had also had, lastly, I uh, had a chance to watch Confess Fletch. This seems like something that you would have watched, Brad. Have you seen this?
1: I did. Yeah, I actually, uh, it's way better than the trailer indicated. The trailer, whoever cut the trailer for this should be fired. Yeah. Because uh, the you know, the movie is way better than the trailer uh, indicated.
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I, I think it's, you know, I, I walked away from this thinking like, that was kind of light and fluffy and fun. And I definitely would not mind spending more time with these, these versions of these characters um, unfortunately I don't think the movie performed well enough to to really warrant a sequel unless maybe uh, it, like straight to streaming kind of thing another one happens at, at some point I don't know it, it came out. Last year, I think there was maybe like a limited theatrical release, but mostly it was sort of a, a video on demand kind of thing. Um, yeah, it w- I think it went to Showtime pretty quickly too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So uh, John Hamm plays Fletch, which is the the character who was famously played by Chevy Chase in the the couple of movies from like the I think mid to late '80s. Um, and yeah, it's it's just like a a sort of convoluted detective story, basically um, about. Uh, murder and art theft and it's just like it's this kind of fun breezy thing and I really like seeing John Hamm in this mode this sort of like um, you know more comic mode he's definitely leaned into the comedic uh, um, areas of, of his career in the past let's call it 10 years or so um, so this is far from the first time we're seeing him do something you know light and funny um, but I, I really really appreciate him in this mode, more so even than something you know like the town where he's like the the grizzled FBI agent who's like barking orders at people, I just feel like he's more his talents are better suited to this kind of um, you know. Uh, one-liner dropping, um, you know, charismatic type of guy. So, uh, and it also has a really fun supporting cast. Kyle McLaughlin is in this. Roy Wood Jr. Uh, John Slattery reuniting with him from Madman, uh, excuse me, Mad Men, and then um, Marcia Gay Harden shows up as well. So, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of fun to be had in this movie. It's not going to really like blow your mind I don't think but um, and I, I'm not even fully sure that I tracked every single plot twist and reveal because as most of these detective stories tend to do things unravel so quickly at the end that you're kind of like wait what what was this person's motivation exactly does that really make sense but it's the kind of movie that just leaves you having so much fun with the characters that you don't really spend too much time, you know, getting, getting hung up on that stuff. So, yeah. uh, that's called Confess Fletch and I would recommend checking it out if you're looking for something fun and breezy. Um, all right, before we continue, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, Brad, what, uh, what else have you been watching?
1: Uh, So, uh, as I mentioned before, I have my own podcast called Go Flicks Yourself, and one of the things that I do with my two co-hosts on there is we each assign each other a movie uh, before every new episode that we talk about, and it's something the other person hasn't seen, and we think that they should see, and uh, this past week I was given The Bodyguard, which I I had never seen, Uh, I I was well aware of its place in uh, pop culture and like the fact that it's Whitney Houston's uh, first movie role and it was a, a big deal for her and it's this is uh one of those movies that like uh they they made a lot of in like the late 80s and into the, ni- the 90s but they don't really make much anymore this kind of like uh, romantic thriller uh, mm-hmm. where there's this blossoming relationship um, between two people. Uh, and in this case, it's, it's Whitney Houston. Who's, who's basically playing a version of herself. This, this big uh, pop star and, uh, uh, and, and kind of a movie star too, who uh, has a stalker. And so they, they hire this guy, Kevin Costner plays, who's seen as like one of the best bodyguards in the business. Uh, and he's very strict, no nonsense kind of person. It kind of clashes with her, but they, they strike up this uh, romance with each other. And, uh, you know, I thought this movie was okay. You know, I I wasn't totally floored by it. I didn't think it was amazing. It's definitely one of the better, uh, versions of this kind of movie that came out during this time. But I think my biggest hurdle, and this is something that might be controversial. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't think Kevin Costner is that great of an actor. And I didn't really realize it until this movie. But as I was watching, it, I'm like, you know what? Kevin Costner basically plays the same guy all the time. He's relatively stoic. He doesn't express a lot of emotion. There's been some comedies uh, that he's done where he has has a little bit of fun, like Tin Cup and stuff like that. But when it comes to these like serious roles, he's pretty much just Kevin Costner. And I don't think he's great. Um, and so it kind of just like le- left me just wishing somebody else was in this role. <laughs>
0: Man, this is a fascinating take, Brad, because I kind of agree with you because he he gets into that sort of like Boy Scout mode, which works really well in something like Field of Dreams. Yeah. But, but kind of – yeah, there, there's a – it's the movie star conundrum, right? Like how much do you stay – how much of yourself do you bring in? Because that's what people want to see. Yeah. But then, then it's, it's that balancing act of like, okay, now I actually want to play a character. And like people like Tom Hanks have, have walked that line beautifully over the years. And I think, I think you're probably right. I think if you go back and look at Costner's filmography, there are more movies where he's, I don't want to say miscast. That's too strong, but like uh, where he doesn't stretch himself as far as he could To benefit that character fully and instead stays more more in Costner mode, I guess. And I think Um,
1: and maybe that's what the appeal is, because if you think about it, like really what he he's good at doing is playing the everyman. You know, and like, and that's, I think that's what works for him because, like, you know, that, that's basically what he is in Field of Dreams. That's probably why Zack Snyder wanted him to play, you know, Clark Kent's, you know, father, you know, because, mm-hmm. like, that's, he's just a Midwest guy, you know, doing his best. And, like, that just seems like what Kevin Costner is doing all the time.
0: Yeah. I would recommend, Brad, if you have not seen No Way Out, the movie from 1987 with Costner and Gene Hackman and Sean Young, that is, like, just straight up A plus filmmaking that is, like, terrifically directed and costner is actually really really great in it so that might not necessarily turn you around on him entirely but it'll give you a different uh color to sort of um judge his work with and i would i I think you would love that movie because there's some really excellent stuff in there so yeah um maybe that might even be good for your your other podcast to like recommend to your your friends or something because that's a movie that people don't really talk about that much anymore but there's some some like top-notch shit in that film. so yeah i'll um, check it out yeah. Okay. So, what else have we been checking out?
1: Uh, so, on a similar uh, plane of thought, I uh, I watched Whitney Houston. I want to dance with somebody. Um, this was, you know, one that came out and didn't really get a lot of attention, and uh, for good reason because it's not very good.
0: Ah, that's <laughs> and, a shame.
1: In fact, it's actually pretty bad. Um, it's a very paint by numbers music biopic kind of thing, and it's 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 even almost worse than that because like at least Bohemian Rhapsody had some like good energy and vibes, and you know uh, did a good job digging into Freddie Mercury. Uh, as as a person, as opposed to hitting just hitting like Cliff's Notes milestones, like this movie is basically like watching uh, a montage of all of Whitney Houston's biggest moments, and like uh, it it really it barely touches upon like the the controversy and like nastiness that came out of her relationship with Bobby Brown. It makes you know melodrama out of her her drug problem and her her dad being overbearing and like uh, basically you know embezzling money from her her entire career. Um, but it, it hits all of like her big career moments in the most cliche like way possible like if you imagine a parody of Whitney Houston's life like it Mm. would feel like this and even the performances aren't very good uh it's just it really just was flat all around for me it it felt like a, a made for tv version uh of Whitney Houston and like I just feel like her career deserves so much better than this it just it doesn't feel like it digs into her with any substance whatsoever just a very surface level you know uh biopic just by the books
0: I think the good news is maybe that the sort of silver lining here is that this movie was like barely released and like did not get much of a marketing push at all. And I would venture to say that most people don't even know that this came out. So maybe it's so sort of small and forgettable that like in a few years, somebody else can take another crack at it and actually do it the justice that it deserves. But yeah, Okay, so I want to make a, a quick note to our listeners here that, that Brad is having some construction done in the background there. For the oh, can most you part, hear it? Well, for, for for most of this episode, we've not been able to hear it, but during that last part, you could hear it a little bit. So we apologize for that, but, you know, let's just plow through. So yeah. um, speaking of which, what else have you been watching, Brad?
1: I also watched The Woman King, uh, which was a movie that I just kind of uh, missed out on seeing last year, you know, even leading up to award season, just kind of fell by the wayside. Uh, And I didn't go out of my way to watch it, but I'm glad that I I now did because Viola Davis is outstanding in it. This is, you know, it's, it's one of those um, it's, it feels familiar because we've seen, you know, several kind of like, I guess you could say war movies, you know, like this, especially ones that, that focus on, um you know old, older cultures and things like this but uh the cast in this movie is is very good you know you've got Viola Davis uh leading it uh you've got Tuso Bedu in it Lashana Lynch John Boyega and it's it's just a great cast that that brings us to life there are some you know pretty bloody and brutal action sequences um and just you know some uh drama that comes from them them clashing uh, with another, um, I, I guess you know, uh, well, a, a warring clan if you want you want to call it, uh, but mm-hmm. it's this you know it follows this all female unit of of warriors who uh, in, in Africa called the Dahomey in, in the eighteen hundreds and they are just uh, ruthless you know they don't. Um, they don't commit themselves to uh, families, like by having you know husbands or or kids or anything like that. Like they are dedicated to fighting uh, for the king. Like they are like his his army. And uh, man, Viola Davis is is a beast in this movie. She's she's so good. Um, but like like I said, everyone is you know. And like uh, seeing John Boyega in a role like this too. He he doesn't have a lot to do, but it just you know uh, I'm I'm glad that he is kind of like free of Star Wars now to pursue more more stuff like this. And I hope that we get to see more performances like this from him because he's a great actor. And I think Star Wars kind of just hung him out to dry a little bit by not really uh, making Finn, you know, as big of a character in the rest of the trilogy as he was supposed to be after Force Awakens.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah, I I really like this movie. I think it, it has that sort of classical throwback to the type of, you know, 80s, 90s, type of uh, mainstream blockbuster type of movie that we used to get all the time. And I thought Lashana Lynch was like, especially wonderful in that sort of like scene stealing role in this movie. So um, yeah, great stuff. Do you remember where you watched this? This was on Netflix for a while. I'm not sure if it's there anymore.
1: I I have it. So like, it was uh, like, I I received it like on, uh, on Blu-ray. So, okay,
0: cool. Awesome. Uh, All right. And
1: then uh, you also had a chance to see fast X. I did. And I won't dive too in depth uh, into it because uh, I have a review that will be going live on Wednesday. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. But, uh, you know, there are social media reactions out there. And so I will say that I enjoyed the hell out of Fast X. And it's mostly due to uh, not just the outrageous action that the Fast and Furious franchise uh, is known to deliver and, and does pretty well. Uh, but it is mostly because of Jason Momoa and uh, Uh, I I tweeted this and I'm going to repeat it because I believe it wholeheartedly. Uh, People have said that Dwayne Johnson was the Fast and Furious franchise Viagra. If that's true, then Jason Momoa is pure uncut cocaine because uh, he is unhinged and wild in this movie. He's he's the best villain the franchise has ever had. Um, sometimes he's like a cartoon character, sometimes he's like a crazy serial killer. He is just fantastic. He's he's funny, he's uh, evil, he's insane, um, and he, he really makes this movie. Uh, it, it delivers everything you want from it. I think that the, the emotional beats maybe don't work uh, quite as well as they have before um i think that's a larger problem that has existed since paul walker passed away though um but other but it's the the action stuff delivers in droves uh, the the action sequence that takes place in rome is is one of the the greats of the franchise and there's a lot of uh good fun stuff in here so it not not everything works there's some stuff that um you know i'll, I'll talk about in my review specifically stuff that like kind of Felt like it, it didn't necessarily uh, contribute to the overall greatness of the movie, but I just had such a good time watching this. It, it, it is really the kind of movie that you want to see on the big screen uh, with a crowd because you'll just you'll be like laughing and clapping and just really enjoying yourself.
0: I've seen very mixed reactions so far, Brad, and, and I have to say that your uh, your reaction is giving me hope that I might actually find some some joy in this. And I'm... I hope
1: you do. I, I hope you do.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm I'm planning to see it Thursday night, so um, I'll report back probably next week when I get a chance to see it. But uh, okay, what have you been eating, Brad? Looks like some interesting stuff in this lineup.
1: Yeah, so uh, AMC theaters, they um, I, they're they have a new line of their own popcorn that they are putting in stores now. Uh, It's exclusively available at Walmart for the time being before it will be available at other stores later this year. It's available both in bags, just like if you would buy chips and also as microwave popcorn. And I was curious about it because, you know, uh, movie theater popcorn has a very specific, you know, taste and whatnot. I was wondering if AMC theaters was going to actually be able to replicate it or just going to be like your average popcorn. And I do feel like the taste is relatively close to whatever AMC theaters, you know, popcorn form formula is whatever you want to call it. Uh, I don't know if they have like a specialty popcorn or like, you know, a certain uh, oil formula or recipe or anything like that, but like they have done a decent job of capturing what their buttered popcorn does actually taste like uh, at theaters. Um, again, it's not the best because it is out of a bag and it's not fresh. Um, they do recommend that you, uh, you can warm it up and it does kind of replicate that feeling, but that feels like a cheat. Um, but it's, it's available in lightly salted uh, movie theater butter and extra butter. So, and it's, it's, it's solid, you know, it's, you know, uh, popcorn in a bag isn't anything that you can really like, like, turn into the best thing ever but i uh since it's amc theaters so was like oh, let, let's see if they can do it and it's it's okay
0: <laughs> so, so it's already popped is that yeah, right yeah in a bag okay
1: yeah it's both they they have it in bags already popped and they also have their own microwave version as well that you pop yourself gotcha okay cool uh and then monster java energy has a new flavor uh cafe latte um, I am not the biggest fan of monsters, coffee, energy drinks. I like their, um, ultra zero sugar flavors that have various tropical fruit flavors and whatnot, but their coffee drinks have typically left something to be desired. Um, this one got sent to me, uh, because of my Instagram, Brad's junk at look at Brad's junk. If you haven't checked it out. Uh, and I actually liked this flavor. I don't know if it's just because it's a different flavor or a different formula, whatever, but this was more akin to like the canned, uh, Starbucks coffee drinks that I that I really like to get from the gas station every now and then if I'm not drinking my own coffee. Uh, so the the flavor was not not too sweet, It had a good blend of of coffee and that that general you know la- latte flavor with it. So if you haven't liked Monster's Java energy drinks, I would try the new Cafe Latte flavor and see what you think because it might be one that you actually enjoy. Okay. Um, and then this is a a, a weird one, uh, but it, it works for me. Um, Pringles has a new flavor that is ketchup and french fries. And I know what you're thinking. Isn't it weird to clarify that your potato chip is flavored like potato french fries? <laughs> um, and yeah, you, you might be right, but it is strange that these Pringles actually don't taste just like regular Pringles with ketchup seasoning. They genuinely have a French fry flavor to them. And I, I'm curious as to what it is that, that, allows them to do it. If it's a certain kind of seasoning that is on most french fries already or maybe it's just a placebo thing where I think, oh yeah, this tastes like french fries. <laughs> um, but but at the very least, one of the reasons I, I like these, I, I liked getting these, regardless of the french fry flavor, uh, is because ketchup chips aren't very prominent in the United States. I, I recently talked about how Doritos has a tangy ketchup chip out right now and that was uh, a welcome surprise because ketchup chips are usually only available uh, easily in Canada. And so we don't get them a lot down here. My girlfriend introduced me to them. So I was interested in trying these and the, the flavor is, is great. The, uh, the ketchup is good. Uh, like I said, it has that little bit of French fry flavor to it. And uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's a solid flavor of Pringles. And these, good luck finding these because it took me a while to find these. I had heard about these like two months ago. They came out with, um, Pringles also has Philly cheesesteak and hot honey flavors. And all three of these were hitting shelves around the same time. And I kept looking for these ketchup and french fries ones, and I could not find them until recently. I finally did. So just just keep an eye on your Pringles section at your grocer. I think Walmart is where they're popping up the most. Uh it may or may not even be exclusive there, which may, may have been why they were harder to find, but keep looking around. Um you can find them like for a more expensive price on like Amazon or like secondhand markets and stuff like that. But I would say just keep checking your Walmart shelves because I finally found them. So okay. okay. So
0: that's ketchup and french fries Pringles. What a yeah. combo. Uh and then what What
1: else? Finally, uh, another coffee drink. So I I previously talked about how there was a Snickers iced coffee. And and along with that uh, came around this Twix iced coffee as well. And uh, this is also uh, from Victor Allen's, who makes a lot of different flavored coffees. And I must say this one I was actually disappointed in. And that's a bummer for me because I love Twix. Twix is one of my favorite candy bars. And I was hoping this was going to be pretty good based on the fact that the Snickers one really nicely replicated the flavor of Snickers in coffee form. But this one, it feels like it was focused too much on the chocolate and caramel. And you don't really get any of the cookie flavor that is uh, really prominent in a Twix bar. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like maybe the the candy bar flavor profile of twix is harder to capture in liquid form i guess maybe um because yeah it just didn't taste like the candy bar and i was really disappointed i I didn't even finish this one so uh yeah didn't like it but if you want to look for it it's on shelves with a lot of the other coffee drinks um near like uh, the energy drinks stuff like that in, in grocery stores so
0: Okay. All right. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. You can find more about a lot of the movies that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes for that. Uh, you can send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.
2: Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs,